Hello, welcome to Today in Horrors, where we've just taken an unscheduled four-month break. Because, well, there's been a few reasons, I think. And the main reason I'm choosing is that we've both definitely probably had at least one bout of COVID since the last time we recorded. I think I might have had it twice, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, <laughs> Sarah's definitely had it once. Yeah, so we've just been sort of dealing with that. And also the fact that the films that we've chosen to cover for this episode, some of them aren't great. Some of them I like and Sarah doesn't. And we chose Vampires and Werewolves thinking that it would be a lot more fun than it has been, potentially. That doesn't matter. We're here now. We've decided that we're going to rattle through it. And yeah, <laughs> then neither we nor you will ever need to think about them again, depending on how much you like them. And if you like them, then we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, think about them all the time if you want. Yeah, why not? Some of these are alright. Some of them are good, I think. Anyway, let's start with Ginger Snaps 2 Unleashed from 2004. Because we talked about Ginger Snaps in a previous episode. Which we both agree is still really good, I think. Yep, solid. So Ginger Snaps 2 is directed by Brett Sullivan, who is, I think, mostly a TV guy now, and written by Megan Martin. So it's not the same creative team as the first Ginger Snaps, but it was shot back-to-back with Ginger Snaps 3, Ginger Snaps Back, which is a prequel, so the title is amazing. Um, (laughs) But that's pretty much the only thing I remember about it. Yeah. But uh, Ginger Snaps 2, I had quite fun memories of. I think they were, I was looking at the notes, they were both only released in cinemas in Canada. So I definitely watched them on DVD when they were released over here. And it's sort of, it's definitely trying to continue the same like grungy aesthetic, kind of dark, moody, everyone's miserable, adults are useless whole vibe. And... Yeah, my my memory my memories of watching it were this is the good one, and then Ginger Snaps Back is the bad one. What were your memories of watching it? I can't remember when I first saw this film. I think it must have been yeah, like you say, it was on DVD. I think I think it was probably quite a while after I first saw Ginger Snaps, and then just realised that there were two sequels, and was like, oh, exciting. Um, and then I'm not sure it was that exciting. <laughs> uh, I mean, of the two, I prefer this one, but yeah, I don't love it. Yeah, I think for me, the first half is really good as it picks up sort of mm. quite soon after the first Ginger Snaps where Bridget's on the run now. Uh, Ginger's dead, but she's still haunting Bridget in a very American world for London way. And Bridget's doing her best to research the werewolf curse, but ends up being committed to an institution for, it's, it's a kind of rehab centre, isn't it, for wayward teens, essentially where she's unable to get her uh, wolfsbane fix. So she starts, she's starting to get all the twitchy kind of transformation things. And there is a male werewolf somewhere outside who is looking for her to mate with her. And yeah, like I think it's, there's very, you know, it's a bunch of weird teenagers trapped in a hospital, which as you pointed out, is very uh, Dream Warriors. Yeah, it's that kind of 80s sequel that's in a mental hospital kind of thing, isn't it? Like, something terrible has happened and the final girl is now in an institution, as she probably would be, I guess, after all that drama. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the the main sort of other character, I guess, that we 
have to care about in this, the new character, is a girl called Ghost, who is played by Tatiana Maslany, who I think you know from Orphan Black. Yay. <laughs> I didn't even realise until I came to like look at the cast, and I was like, oh, wait, I, I know that name. Um, and, yeah, she's in the hospital for reasons that we don't quite know to begin with, except that we know that her grandmother is uh, also in the hospital completely bandaged from head to toe because she was in a fire (laughs) um which yeah uh turns out to be very unpleasant um but she 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 makes friends with with bridget and helps her to escape and then it's just a lots of lots of running away from the male werewolf and running away from the hospital and dealing with Bridget's transformation and trying to stop that and there's some quite horrible stuff like when she starts to kind of wolf out and she gets pointy ears she's just chopping the bits off and it's just bleh. um so nice body horror it's that image of like her like foiling her teeth as well isn't there or something yeah just trying to stop it and then and, and like the fact that she's tracking how fast she heals because obviously well, obviously, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> being a werewolf, you heal really fast. So the faster she heals, uh, the closer she is to kind of her transformation. So she's also kind of on suicide watch because she's covered in these cut marks that people don't really understand why she's doing it. Um, mm. So there's a lot going on, but I feel like in this one, what in the first film was a fairly smart metaphor for you know coming of age and puberty and everything doesn't really work as well in this one. It seems like it's more of a metaphor for mental health-ish, sort of, but mm. maybe not. I don't know. I just felt like it, it didn't work as well. Yeah, I agree. I think it feels, it feels very different in Ginger Snaps. Like, it feels very fresh. And in this one, it's, yeah, like, like you said, it does feel like a, a plot from, like, a 90s or 80s movie. And there's, I think there's some nice moments in it. I think Emily Emily Perkins is really good. And the, 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 I think it's a scene where she's talking about her best case scenario. Mm. And she's talking about oh, my best case. Like, there's like hair coming out of my eyeballs <laughs> and stuff. It works best when it's within the institution and you kind of get the claustrophobia and she's like tripping out and is a kind of like withdrawal. And the kind of thing. But as soon as they leave, they like hole up in ghost grandmother's cabin. And then it's just... I don't know. It's not weird anymore. Yeah. It's just they're just waiting for the ending. Yeah, and there's, there's no more surprises apart from the big twist. Well, they have to kind of transition it from being Bridget's story into being ghosts, don't they? Which sort of happens mm. around there. Um, I I'm not a huge fan of the way she finds out that Ghost is untrustworthy, <laughs> which is like when they get to this cabin where there's been a fire and that's why her grandmother is in the hospital. She initially spins some story about Christmas lights and how her grandmother got tangled up in Christmas lights and went on fire that she then laughs off and says, oh, oh no, it was just that um, she was smoking in bed and, and fell asleep and there was a mm. cigarette, uh, which we're like, okay, fine, accept that. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And then later, uh, Bridget finds a sign that has a picture of a frog on it and says, like, if you smoke, I might croak or something. (laughs) And there's, like, a big, like, zoom on her face as she realises, like, oh, no, that means that her grandmother doesn't smoke, so it wasn't a cigarette, so Ghost is probably just an arsonist. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) And she's right. Like, it's true. (laughs) Who has a sign with a frog on it that says no smoking in their own home? That's weird. It's lovely. <laughs> yeah, there's like lots of like, because she's like into comics as well, she's like graphic novels, there's lots of all that kind of like, 
I don't know, that feels very of the time mm. that, like, oh, the weird kid is into, like, graphic novels. It's very, like, 2012. Yeah, before everything became super mainstream. Yeah. And I love Tatiana Maslian in it. She's, like, genuinely weird and unlikable. Like, I think she manages to make ghosts. You're kind of... She seems tragic, but you're creeped out by her at the same time. Because she is genuinely odd and untrustworthy. And then, like, at the end, I think the ending just feels so mean. I think that's what I didn't... What I don't like about it is because you're kind of so with Bridget at that point because you've been through two movies with her and she just needs a break. <laughs> she really doesn't get one. She really does not get I one. I think, you know, it's in the same way that the first movie you are kind of initially with Ginger as she goes through this transformation and then you switch to fully sympathising with Bridget because she has to deal with her sister. Mm. Um, they kind of do this, trying to do the same thing here, I think, where... It's Bridget that's becoming the werewolf and then you know that once we get to full werewolf transformation moment, like there's just not gonna be a way back from that. Yeah. So that's it. Like you're you're you've lost your protagonist, so that they have to switch to ghost. I have mixed feelings about the ending because I agree that it's really horrible to end like that for Bridget. But I <laughs> do enjoy the like absolute pitch black, yeah, dark, no, horrible, like you know, uh, so it ends with werewolf Bridget trapped in the basement while Ghost draws a comic about herself and her pet werewolf and how she's going to get revenge on everyone yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> I kind of I kind of yeah like Ghost is not a nice character but I do like the idea that we could have had another sequel where she was just running around doing what she wants and yeah. taking taking revenge um, although a lot of the people she kind of gets quote unquote revenge on probably didn't actually do anything to deserve it yeah that's that's true <laughs> no, she just hates everyone I can't remember if I mentioned this with the Ginger Snaps one but it's one of my favourite interview moments I interviewed Tatiana Mazzini for Orphan Black and because mm. it's also set in Bailey Downs I asked about like could could Ghost be in it at some point and she was really excited about like oh Ghost would be totally insane by this point that'd be amazing <laughs> she like, would like, yeah on. fun like no we don't need She-Hulk we need a, a Ghost sequel yeah sequel. <laughs> I think I really would have preferred that to Ginger Snaps Back, as great a title as that is. Um, I, yeah, no. It's like a weird period drama thing, period horror, but has nothing to do with these characters, but it has the same cast, which yeah, is weird. Yeah, it's a very similar plot, isn't it? Like, it's, they're still... It's Ginger who gets bitten, and it's just in a Civil War fort or something. I don't know. It's, it's, I kind of feel like both these sequels are fully disposable you don't you could just bury them and never worry about them again as long as you've got the first one i'd hang on to ginger snaps but the other two can go in the bin fair enough i think i'd like to keep this one but ginger snaps back i wouldn't mind saying bye to although like i'm saying that as if i don't fully have all three dvds sitting on my shelf oh yeah same oh, well. Yeah, yeah. well you need the third one just in case you want to watch it oh, i know i'm really trying to fight that mentality because i end up with like thousands of dvds um yeah, which also marks us out as very old you realize because the kids today don't even have dvd players <sighs> sad times what about all my two disc special editions with the extra disc of bonus features and all the little booklets and all the slip cases and all the steel books and everything i still got my i've got like a predator movie box set on blu-ray because it was really cheap but i've still got my predator one and two like it's in like a really chunky cardboard slipcase like box set and I was like I can't can't lose that it's got a booklet <laughs> 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 well 
One day we will uh, figure out. Well, you know, one day the internet might go down, and then then yeah, we'll then be what? laughing. We'll be watching all the movies then. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, I think this is wait. Yeah, this is the only one of the films that we're watching on this podcast that I own on DVD. The other three I do not. Ah. Dun, dun, dun. Which I think moves us on to 30 Days of Night from 2007. Um, <laughs> I think this film is a big reason why I've been putting off doing this podcast. I just, I saw it at the cinema the first time around and I really, 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 really disliked it. And I just didn't want to go back there. How about you? Did you did you enjoy it? I did. Yeah, I saw it at the cinema and loved it. I was really excited for it. I think I'd maybe read the comic beforehand, uh, and the trailer was really good. And I was big into my Danny Houston sort of playing monsters because I think I'd just seen the proposition. I remember because it was a choice between going to see that or Saw Four because they both came out at Halloween two thousand seven. Yeah. And I went with Thirty Days of Night because. I think I'd heard Saw 4 was like starting to change everything and I was like, oh no, no, I'll go see Third Days of Night. Uh, and at the time, yeah, I was really happy with that decision. Um, yeah. <laughs> Saw 4 is terrible though. It is, yeah. It's definitely the worst one. It's, it's not definitely the worst. I, I oh, mean, sorry. Saw, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Saw 3D is the worst one, but it's the second worst one, I think. Yeah. But yeah. <sighs> okay. So <laughs> I, just, I just don't want to. I just want it away. Um, so 30 Days of Night is directed by David Slade, based on the comic, as you say, by Steve Niles. Uh, screenplay by Steve Niles, plus Stuart Beatty and Brian Nelson. Starring Josh Hartnett as Sheriff Eben Olsen and Melissa George as his... I think they're still married, aren't they? So estranged wife, Stella. So it's set in the town of Barrow, Alaska, which is supposedly far enough north that in the winter uh, it stays dark for 30 days, which obviously makes it an amazing vampire playground because the sun's never going to come up. So for 30 days, the vampires can just run riot, eat everyone have a lovely time. Most people leave town uh, before the 30 days of night begin. Understandably, I think, because I, uh, I think a lot of these places just end up with a very depressed population because it's really miserable to not see sunlight for 30 days. Mm. But there seems to be something in this one, and I, I, I'm not sure whether it was like weather conditions or what, but where like no planes can come or go during the month. I'm not really sure why, because f- it feels like it's implying that planes can't fly in the dark, and that doesn't <laughs> seem to be true. Like I feel like planes can fly in the dark. I'm pretty sure that that's a thing. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but for whatever reason, like everyone's supposed, most people are supposed to have left, but there are some people who are still there, including Stella, because she misses her flight, and there are no more because it's dark, and <laughs> and the sheriff, <laughs> and and a stranger who's come to town, and he's ready to let the vampires in um i'm trying to think of something nice to say about this film um to like kick off the discussion i think the vampires are quite fun i like that they have their little vampire language and that they're very very toothy a lot of teeth yeah it's like a deceptively simple design i think but it really works for me every time i rewatched it i'm like yeah that's just that's pretty perfect it's like the kind of the black <laughs> contact lenses they don't mind having blood all over their face and yeah. they've got sharp fingernails and they're just they're just very feral aren't they sort of mm. when they attack they're all sort of running on all fours like nails out swiping but then 
yeah, it's, it's like a nice mix between like a kind of feral pack mentality and they're like dressed in sharp suits and like look, they're all like dressed like businessmen kind of. Mm. And there's a, I love, like there's some really great shots of them like standing on roofs, <laughs> um, looking out over the town. Uh, uh, yeah, mm. that's definitely, <laughs> like I like it, but I think the vampire design and sort of whole approach to them is the best bit of the film for sure. Yeah, I, but I think the premise is great. Like the idea mm. that, you know, there are places where it's just dark. I think Barrow is maybe not one of them, but... Um, but there are places where it's dark for a prolonged period of time and they don't get sunrise, so that's kind of fun. But I feel like the film doesn't know where to go after that because yeah. you're just like, there's not many people left in the town anyway. Once the vampires start eating them, there are even, even fewer. And then you're like, well, what now? What happens now? Yeah. Um, I don't feel like there was a great sense of time in this film. Like, we spend quite a lot of time at the beginning... Um, setting up like everyone trying to leave and and succeeding or failing in various ways because it's about to be this this thirty days of night, but then the month seems to go really fast like because the film ends with the sunrise, yeah. Um, and I'm not really sure where that time goes. Yeah, agreed. I think that's definitely that's my that's my big gripe with it is that after the like after the first half hour or so, then it just stays dark and there's mm. not really anything that happens that feels. Like it's demonstrating the amount of time changing. I think some of them grow beards a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, it feels like it could just be one night. And I think that's a big problem with it. They just start to get a bit more desperate. But... Maybe, yeah. Because I do tend to like films that are all set in one night. I like a ticking clock and that sense of urgency that you get when it's, you know, the, the monster's going to be gone at sunrise. Like that's pretty much standard for most horror movie monsters. Like you want the sun to come up because that's going to help. Uh, mm. whether it's because it kills them or just because, like, I guess you'll be able to see them. <laughs> but usually, yeah, that, that helps. So so the idea of having 30 days of night, well, it sounds cool to begin with, and you're like, but that's just a lot of time. Like, what are they going to do for all that time? Like, I feel like that's plenty of time for everyone to have been eaten. Um, <laughs> and then that's just what they're going to do now. <laughs> yeah, there's like, so there are some bits where like, they're sending people out as bait and... A couple of moments where it feels like they're got to go get supplies, or like there's that guy's dad who is, I think, doesn't quite know where he is and when they're hiding in the attic. Yeah. But again, that sort of feels like it's that's not as time sensitive as because it's thirty days. I think it goes from like one week to like day twenty eight mm. or something really quickly. I think and yeah, it, it just loses momentum for me. I think the first half hour, forty minutes, is great. I really like it. And then I like the end. But apart from like some nice gory bits with like, you know, the little girl vampire or like the guy on the swings, like there's, it drags, I think, weirdly, and it shouldn't. But then it's because it is 30 days. How similar to the comics is it? Like It's been a while since I read it, but I think it's pretty faithful. I think okay. the, it turns out in, in the comics that the vampires like are a, a pack that are doing this when they've been told not to by like, the vampire council or whatever right. like Mar- he's called marlo in the comics danny houston's character has kind of broken off and done this kind of without permission mm. so i think i can't remember the big bad vampires show up at the end and sort of come get everyone the the rest of vampires um but yeah it's, it's pretty it's, it is pretty similar i think the film it's, it's similar to the film in that like the concept is great and the vampire design is really creepy mm. And I can't remember if Eben looks like Josh Hartnett. 
Maybe not. I want to say no. No. I do like Josh Harnett in it, though, and Mr. George. And I love Danny Houston. And Ben Foster as the stranger is just wonderful. He's like, I'm going to go full Renfield. Yeah, I, yeah, that's quite fun. He's so stinky and creepy. <laughs> He's got like all the trailer lines are his. It's brilliant. That kind of idea that there's always going to be one person who will betray you, whether it's, you know, the guy hiding a zombie bite or the guy who's going <laughs> to sell you out to the vampires for immortality, that kind of thing. It's such a common theme and such a particular kind of character. Um, I don't know. I kind of I kind of like it and hate it at the same time. I guess it depends on how well it's handled in a particular case. Because you're just like, oh no, that guy, that guy's trouble. <laughs> yeah, I think it works well in this because I think Ben Foster's, like, he plays it like he's more trouble than he is. Mm. Whereas actually he's like... He's caused all the trouble that he's going to cause basically by the time the film starts. Yeah. Like he's wrecked the radios, he's killed all the dogs. Yeah. Yeah, he just he just gets it fairly early on because Danny Houston's like, nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's just having the best time. I've got a lot of time for Ben Foster going way over the top. And this is just, if you like Ben Foster chewing scenery, him demanding raw burger meat and <laughs> trying to creep out a teenager by... <laughs> getting him to attack him it's just wonderful yeah yeah i just i don't know i just think it's it drags too much i obviously don't enjoy ben foster enough <laughs> and um Clearly. and like the ending where they just where he's where they kind of so it, yeah, are we just going full spoilers and everything we spoiled ginger snaps might as well go for it um <laughs> the the ending where Josh Hartnett kind of realises that as a human man he will not be able to fight back against the vampires and therefore shoots up with vampire blood in order to be strong enough to fight them. It's like, okay, but you're still going to be one dude. This is true. So it is it is lucky that he only has to fight Danny Houston. <laughs> yes, yeah. So like a Western-style duel. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's why I don't like it, the kind of Western vibes. It does, yeah. it definitely is a bit of a snow western which i do like i like i like snow i like weird westerns <laughs> yeah um. <laughs> maybe that's it uh and then yeah then he has to romantically sacrifice himself at the dawn oh i thought that was really sad that gets me i think because it happens like the i like the effect i think the effects handled really well there the sort of like ashing is good it's like that episode of buffy where angel tries to do the same thing but instead it snows and he's saved and it's a miracle Ah, uh, yeah. I, don't know about that one. <laughs> I don't know. I just, uh, I, I just don't, I just don't get on with this film, and I wish I yeah, did. It's very, but yeah, yeah. a bit boring. I think it's always better. It's always better in my head than the experience of watching it because the first <laughs> half I really like and I really like the ending, but I always forget about like the forty-five <laughs> yeah. minutes in the middle where I'm like, oh no, there is like there's a lot more film than I remember. So even now I'm like, oh no, it's really good, and it's like. Yeah, but there is that bit in the middle that you but... always start looking at your phone. Um, <gasps> lethal. Lethal. As soon as you look at your phone, that's game over for any film now, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Um, <sighs> but I think, yeah, it's shot really well. Like, David Slade knows how to make a good-looking film. Um, and there is a sequel called 30 Days of Night, Dark Days, which follows a recast Stella as she tries to spread the word about vampires um, in LA. Oh. Um, and it's about as good as those sort of direct video sequels are like it's a like all right it's, that sounds yeah. completely terrible that sounds like the descent two levels of of this just doesn't work like, it's not descent too bad but it is not good 
the beginning's really good where she's giving a presentation on like what really happened like she's published a book and it's about what really happened in Barrow mm. um, and it's like in the dark and she's like it's like slides and stuff oh, and that's then fun. like um, I think she like opens all the blinds or, or like it's like UV or something because mm. it's all vampires and all the, all the audience is vampires oh that's, that's really, really fun okay yeah but then it never it never gets as good it's as like that beginning of Blair Witch Book of Shadows where it's great and then the rest of the film's terrible pretty much yeah Sad times. Okay, then let's move to something very different, I suppose. Oh, well, still snowy, still similar in that way. Is uh, Our next film is Let the Right One In from 2008. So we're still vampires in the snow. We're still nasty, toothy vampires, not slick, seductive ones, but very bitey ones. Although I guess she kind of gets her... I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, based on the book by... A Swedish man whose name I'm going to butcher. Apologies to Sweden. Um, John Adjvid Lindqvist. And this film is directed by Thomas Alfredson from a screenplay by Lindqvist. Why did I... I should have just let you take point on this. <laughs> like, wading in <laughs> like, I'm going to try and say the Swedish names. Um, to be fair, the, the Avido Advida like, bit I always panic about. I don't know what the right thing is there. So apologies to Sweden. We're just going to leave it. Feel free to mispronounce my name, I won't mind. Um, And it is about a lonely, bullied, miserable kid who starts making friends with the new girl, question mark, next door. (laughs) Girl, question mark. Uh, But while he's busy falling in love and massively romanticising her, it turns out she's a vampire and the guy who she lives with, who seems to be her dad, is actually kind of her her Renfield, uh, who is hunting and bringing back blood for her, but he's quite bad at it, so he is going to get them caught. There's a whole other storyline with a bunch of guys in the pub who drink beer together and get get bitten, and a really weird scene with lots of cats that I don't really <laughs> understand. <laughs> uh, but mainly it's about the two kids, Oscar and Eli, and I'm not going to attempt to say their real names. Sorry. But you're very good. Well done. <laughs> I think I think like there's something so repulsive about the kid who plays Oscar that it, it really makes this film a struggle for me. Uh, yeah, I, I, I get that. I think uh, I I love this when it came out. This is one of my favourites, and I hadn't watched it in a few years. And I was a bit worried about it because it's like, is this one that I loved when I was? I guess it would have been about twenty twenty one when this came out. Twenty one, yeah. Um, but full sort of student era me. Mm. Um, and is this going to be one where adult me is a bit like, it's a bit childish or something. But actually, like, it, I've still really liked it. I think his sadness really gets me. I think, like, his sort of horrible, like, position of being so lonely and, like, his, his old mate is sort of now in with the bullies and it's just brutal and he just doesn't have anyone. I think I read the book first and it goes into his life a bit more, I think. That's It's just even sadder. Like, it's just even worse. Yeah, I think their relationship's really, like, really well handled. Both both young actors are brilliant. But I think my main takeaway from this this time, so I watched it with my partner, hadn't seen it before, and she was just like, this is such a sad film. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is, actually. Like, it's just really bleak. When I watched it when I was younger, I was like, oh, like, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's a lot more hopeful. Or, or sort of like he's being looked after and rescued a bit to some extent and as an adult you're like oh no they're not going to get away with this this is awful (laughs) yeah they're absolutely not i think that 
maybe that bleakness and just, I don't know, there's just a level of like physical disgustingness to this film. And it, it's real. It's a real like, barrier for me. And I think it's even worse in the book. I read the book after I saw the film. So I saw the film and was like, eh, not for me. And then for some reason, like, saw the book and was like, oh, maybe I'll like it more as a book. And and I found the book just really affecting in a proper horror way. Like, it's just mm. really scary and really horrible and yeah, far, far, scary. far nastier yeah. in, in every every direction. So that's really interesting to me that you read the book first because I think, I don't know, I think like it's hard to know how much you sympathise with Oscar. Like Obviously the bullies are proper Stephen King re-level horrible bullies. Yeah, like, they will kill they you. They will kill yeah. you, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I've never, <laughs> never known, like, I was pretty badly bullied at school, but I don't think I ever felt like I was actually going to be killed. <laughs> So that kind of like Stephen King, well, I mean, Linkus clearly worships Stephen King, but mm. yeah, that level of like, they will just kill you. <laughs> fucking insane. And it does lead to that amazing ending scene um, in the swimming pool, but... The swimming pool sequence is brilliant. Yeah, I love it. So good. I think the what the film does really well for me is that like, it's such a sense of like place and mm. atmosphere. I think he makes it feel cold and mm. sad the like the the housing estate where they live is sort of that with like the local bar that seems to be in one of the buildings anyway and it's just everything like feels like it smells of cigarette smoke and it's a bit damp yeah i just i think this the the sense of place and atmosphere is really well done and it feels like it's making a conscious effort to be not as gross as the book which yeah i think some of it wouldn't work on film i think a lot of it with the zombie kid and like yes. cheap, maybe um, and stuff in the basement but I also think the very Scandinavian sort of tragic comedy mm. of it with um, I can't remember the name of her Renfield the guy who's looking after her but just how shit he is like yeah. uh, trying to murder people and like bleed them it's just really like oh guys like this is like you're not good at this <laughs> sort of realistic like if you just pick a yeah, random completely. dude and make him your servant and hope that he's going to be like you know you need to find a, a a proper like serial killer to um to help you out if you're a vampire i think because just a random yeah. dude is just not going to be good at this he immediately stands out as being like the weird new guy mm. if like the drunks can tell that he's a bit strange <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and i think the scene where she goes hunting for herself is is really creepy like she's mm. obviously is is a uh, Claudia style child vampire and pretends to be her in a tunnel and then kind of does a skittery monstery thing this, and yeah, yeah kind of up on the back yeah yeah right. so that's nice but like I think there's a weird journey of this story from the book to through this film right up to the remake where the relationship between the two kids kind of becomes more sympathetic slash romantic slash like you're supposed to root for it but I don't I mean both of them are victims of various other terrible things but they are also also both pretty awful uh to begin with at least but I, I don't know I, I, I like have you have you seen Let Me In the remake I have I haven't seen it since the cinema and no. I don't really remember it I know it's quite well liked, but yeah, I remember I it, thinking it was about as fine as an American remake could be, but I was still deep into my 
I really just fucking love Let the Right One In, so it's, it's not as good. <laughs> Fair. Uh, I didn't really like Let the Right One In, but I did prefer Let Me In, and it has this quite sweet little thing where uh, it uses a jingle of an American candy called Now and Later that... What was it now? It's like, eat some now, save some for later or something, is the jingle. Oh, that rings a bell. And, yeah. and it's... it's they just use it so that she's kind of singing that or, or or that's kind of in your head at the very end when they're on the train uh, and obviously the implication is that it's not a love story and she's just going to use Oscar until she decides to eat him but I, don't know, mm. I just thought it was a nice, nice little creepy touch <laughs> yeah that is good <laughs> I also like <laughs> for, for a film that I didn't like when I saw it I then went and watched the remake read the book and even went to see the stage play of it so <laughs> <laughs> apparently there is uh, something wrong with me but um, the stage play I really disliked did you ever see that? no I remember reading that it was not good though it was really similar to this film like of the adaptations like it was closest to this film but the woman playing Eli was first of all an adult and second of all just yelled all of her lines <laughs> It's particularly in the production I saw. So like, everything she said, she was just shouting, and I was like, "This, this is weird." <laughs> I just, hmm. <laughs> don't understand what you're going for. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, I do. I hate the. I am uh, being the proper grump this episode, where I'm like, all these very beloved films that people really hold <laughs> up as great examples. I'm like, nah, not for me, thanks. I think Thirty Days of Night. I think that's. People liked it, didn't they? That seems quite divisive now. Some ah, people okay. really like it and some people hate it. I think Let the Right One In. I don't know, people just don't really talk about it that much anymore. I was pleased by how much I still really liked it. I was, I'd was, i watched it a lot when it came out and bought the DVD. Like I was one of those I showed to people. And I do still really like it. I think it's partly like the memories I had when I watched it for the first time and finding Oscar's sort of sadness and isolation quite relatable. And just the sort of, I don't know, the... Apartment, the block of apartment, the flats that they're in feels. I like that. I like really like that it's in like a block of flats. Mm. Everything just looks very. This is just a little suburb out of somewhere. I think it. Yeah, it's Stockholm, isn't it? It's a reminder that even Stockholm, which I generally think of as being the best city in the world, has got some horrible bits. So the thing, the thing that the other thing that sort of mutates from the book to the film to the remake is this issue of whether or not Eli is a girl. There's a bit in the film where she kind of asks Oscar if he would still like her them if 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 he wasn't if she wasn't a girl. I don't know, it, like it she's played by a girl in I think every version she's played by uh, a female actress. But in the book like you do find out what that's about and in the film yeah. you kind of don't. There's a a shot that's sort of blink and you miss it. You kind of see a scar or something, I think, in the film. Yeah, it's more visible than I remembered it being, actually. When I watched it this time, I think maybe because I was looking for it, I was like, oh, yeah, how do they show, like, yeah, she used to be a boy. Mm. And, yeah, the the shot is a bit clearer, I think, than... Yeah, I guess maybe if uh, you... It's never referred to again. If you are looking for it and you know what you're supposed to be seeing in that shot, but yeah, I definitely you know think the first is. time yeah. I was just like, what, what was that? Oh, no, it's gone. And we're yeah, never going to talk like, about yeah, it again. Okay. The scar. Yeah, and, yeah, they never mention it. So that's... A bit strange. I mean, I get. I, I kind of feel like they could have just lost it from the film entirely. It's like if you're not 
there's lots of stuff like you say about the like zombie in the basement and stuff there's lots of stuff mm. in the book that doesn't make it into the film and I feel like they could have just lost that and I feel like in the remake they maybe do lose that there's just the the question about like I think they do yeah I could be wrong it, you know if would you like me if I wasn't a girl well she's not a girl she's a god knows how old uh, yeah. vampire yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a different it's a different question but yeah I don't know like, I, I don't feel like it comes across as integral to the character mm. at all, really. Um, they're just a bit of a weird thing to keep in sort of halfway. Yeah, it's at a moment where she's quite, they're quite vulnerable. Mm. Like, I think cause it's just after Oscar's been a total dick with the, like, oh, just come in, even though I'm not inviting you in. Yes. Thing, and like, yeah. you start to see, that's, I really like that bit where she starts just bleeding, bleeding. kind of from mm. everywhere. So he's feeling... I think like he's crossed a line and then he sees something that he definitely wasn't supposed to see. Mm. But yeah, I think there is that sort of, it builds in the book, like, it builds up with a lot more chaos to the ending. And I think I've forgotten how in the film he just, it's, it's, he gets tricked into going swimming, doesn't yeah. he? And gets set up by the bullies. But then there's that amazing swimming pool sequence, which is basically <laughs> the end. Yeah. Uh, just the guy, the kid's legs like flapping wildly in the water is getting like pulled along. It's just fantastic. That That is really fun. Like, just the fact that you're in the underwater angle and all this chaos is going on above the water, so you can't really hear it and you can't really see it, and then there's just, like, a head. <laughs> yeah, it's really like fun. some limbs, like, falling into the water, and then when he when you finally get out, like, it's quite... A, like the shot's quite from quite far back, and there's just, like, bits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really nice. And there's, like, some good shocks. I think, like, the, the scene where um, the woman combusts in the hospital's great that's what I was the cats say. really just don't work because they're a bad effect they're a bad effect and also like i just it it just feels a bit confusing because you're like wait what is happening like why are the cats doing this what are they i don't know it's a bit weird i think they, they do tee up early on that the cats like don't like oh that they don't like them yeah but because oh, yeah isn't it the guy who's got all the cats was like oh my cats didn't like like kind of thing. yeah yeah <laughs> That's swarming, like they just kind of oh yeah, <laughs> really bad CGI. In my head, it's sort of merged with that shot from the end of uh, Neroi the Curse with all the like <laughs> weird like fetus ghost things. <laughs> all this just like weird CGI creatures just swarming up someone. It's just an actress going like ah. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that Thomas Alfredson hasn't made another horror movie. Really, I guess like the Snowman's a bit horror, but. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy isn't really. But I think Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy does a lot of... He takes a lot of things from this that worked. Mm. Like the sense of like uh, musty, unpleasant surroundings and everyone's just miserable and that you can get a real sense of what the rooms feel like and sort of everyone's drunk and unhappy. (laughs) So, to finish... Uh, actually one that I don't think is a terrible film, so that's nice. I get to enjoy something. Um, <laughs> yay! Which is 2009's Daybreakers. I just, I'm just endlessly delighted by this film. So it is uh, directed by the, the Spirig brothers of Undead, Predestination, Jigsaw and Winchester fame slash infamy. Like that list goes rapidly downhill at the end, doesn't it? Um <laughs> Oops. Um, and it stars Ethan Hawke as vampire haematologist Edward Dalton, which I spent ages going, why does that sound like such a good vampire name? 
like what bell is it ringing in my head and then realized it was just ringing a Edward Cullen bell and that was bad um, <laughs> but Ethan Hawke is, is good times and uh, yeah Sam Neill as Charles Bromley who is a vampire who's the head of the blood farming company that supplies blood to human blood specifically to vampires around the world and then Willem Dafoe as Elvis for some yes. reason <laughs> who's a uh, uh, a guy, who, a human who's got a cure for vampirism, apparently. So the whole kind of setup is that in the future, uh, which actually is 2019, so now it's the past, but there's been a, a, an outbreak in 2009 that turned everybody into vampires around the world. But by 2019, the whole of civilization basically has adapted uh so essentially everyone is a vampire but like everything is the same as normal like there are all these shots of commuters uh queuing up to buy coffee before they get on their train to work which but their the coffee is like 20 percent blood <laughs> <It's> just, <Yeah. laughs> um I, I don't know i really enjoy that anyway uh but it's, but the problem is because vampires biting you turns you into a vampire there's not many humans left and the human blood supply is running very low and so lots of vampires are starting to starve uh and the ones who don't have enough human blood or i uh, sort of question mark here because they mentioned that ethan Hawke has been surviving on pig blood and i don't know what the issue is with why they don't just farm more pigs but uh <laughs> nonetheless vampires who don't have enough blood sort of start to transform into nosferatu style vampires they go all like feral and ratty and turn and get bat wings and stuff and it's really fun yeah so it's down to down to edward and uh elvis to figure out if they can bring if they can save humanity well sam neil walks around being an evil vampire and it's delightful mm. <laughs> <laughs> this i just I, I saw this film for the first time on netflix a few years ago and really enjoyed it um i think i've been avoiding it because of the uh, artwork that just made it look like it was going to be one of those post-matrix very blue cold like very filtered films but um it is but it gets away with it <laughs> yeah i agree I, I went to see it at cinema which i was uh pretty excited about i think because it was when like mad men was on mm. or just had recently started so it's all like everyone's like wearing mad men suits and hats and everyone's smoking because obviously they're vampires so they don't have to worry about it yeah, it did have, like, all the artwork and the trailers did have that kind of vibe, but it's not, like, it's an action movie quite reluctantly, I think. Mm. Like, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, we should end in a big fight. <laughs> it's, there's not really much action in it at all. It's mostly just sort of uh, moral quandaries about, yes. <laughs> like, what the right thing to do is to, for survival. It's almost like a, a corporate espionage thriller for a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because Ethan Hawke's got to go back and try and convince Sam Neill that, like, a cure is better than um, living as a vampire. Yeah, and they're, like, hiding out from... Ethan Hawke's got a brother who's, like, a true believer in the vampire business. Yeah, it's just, it has a lot of fun with the, like, production design and, like, blood and coffee um, and, like, the adverts and stuff. Yeah. And, like, uh, you can tell, kind of tell Ethan Hawke signed on for the metaphor about how it's all about climate change. Yes. And, Renewable, re- un- non-renewable resources running out, and then Ethan Hawke is called Elvis. Oh, no, sorry, Willem Dafoe is called Elvis, <laughs> and he says things like, "We're the folks with the crossbow." <laughs> <laughs> they they are really fun, but I, I think I think I would have been just 
as happy to just spend more time hanging out in the vampire world with Sam Neill and Ethan Hawke for a while because, like you say, that production design is so much fun. Even just, like, mm. the opening credits, you just see scenes from the vampire world where... Uh, like there's a there's a petrol station that's advertising that it's open all day, or <laughs> there's like oh, yeah. there's like an advert for vampire toothpaste. Um, <laughs> all these really <laughs> nice things, and like there's a lovely bit at the beginning where it's the train station, and all the mm. people in their suits are standing waiting for the train as you do, and as the train goes by, and they're all thrown into shadow, and you just see all their eyes being vampire eyes glowing, and I was just like, I really, I just really like this film. <laughs> It just looks so nice and it's so 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 much fun with all that stuff. And obviously, yeah, there's a metaphor for um non-renewable resources in general. I guess you could probably get a vegan style metaphor out of it as well. Just, you know, because the horrors of the, the human farm, when you see what they're doing, they're just like Yeah, it's it's, horrible. it's yeah. you know, it's every battery chicken facility or whatever. It's just lots and lots of naked people hooked up to wires. Kind of um, matrixy, isn't it as well? Yeah, it does feel very matrixy, and I love the the design of the felt like the uh, starved vampire is really cool, and like they're properly like screechy and horrible, and, like kind of flying up on the ceiling and trying yeah, to drop down on you. They're so cool. I like the one you that, see that one that's got wings, and it's like it's it's his neighbor, and he's transformed in like two weeks, yeah. or whatever. But it's like he's just flapping around with these vampire wings, and you're like, this is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that, all that stuff's really lovely. I think I find the second half less fun. Mm. Uh, it, it feels like it does slow down a bit once Ethan Hawke kind of meets the humans. Yeah. There's a little bit, but not that much. So maybe 20 minutes where I was a bit like, meh. Yeah. I think the, the, the kind of, because the cure itself is that basically you need to burn in sunlight until the virus goes, basically. Right? Yeah, but I think you have to have some then, then wa- like, water in hand. Yeah. You can kind yeah. of burn out the virus, but. Uh, yeah, you have to kind of put out the fire before it fully consumes you. Because there's a really horrendous bit um, where they've rounded up and captured a bunch of the like feral vampires that they call subsiders. There's a bunch of them, and they've like chained them up and they parade them through the town and like make them go out into the sun, into the sunshine. And so they're just kind of these just feral, batty, starving, horrendous creatures and then they just like go out screaming into the light and catch fire and die and it's like mm. oh it's really, <laughs> I really just like invert comes i just really think it's really well done i just really enjoy how well thought through everything feels in this film and that's yeah it's yeah kind of what i liked about the spearigs for a while was like there's this film and there's predestination um mm. that felt like they were really good at just thinking through their scripts and what was you're making sure that everything makes sense and is clever and there's lots of ideas and then you get to Winchester and you're like where did all that go guys <laughs> what happened here yeah Winchester is a mess like you said it's just much nastier than I think it's a lot of the similar things that are happening around that time like it was it's an 18 I think Daybreakers with kind of good reason I think it's just it's really unpleasant yeah because I think one of the, the one the bit I remembered was the bit at the end where all the soldiers start attacking each other and start mm. tearing chunks out of each other because one of them has been cured. It's Ethan Hawke's brother's been cured. And then, so they all just like attack him. But then they all get cured by it or something. Yeah, like, all, that turning on each I other. sort of had a little question mark over, but I was like, I guess it yeah. makes sense where if 
a vampire drinks the blood of a former vampire who's been cured, they also become cured. I guess it's because it's meant to be a virus, so I suppose that these people have got antibodies <laughs> against vampirism. <laughs> I don't know. But so essentially, because kind of, I think he thinks like they can start curing vampires and then that will restore humanity and, you know, I guess they can breed and they'll be more humans. Or Ethan Hawke's character is too nice and moral, but, like, that would have been the answer to the blood shortage, except it won't work because as soon as a vampire drinks that blood, they will become human. Um, So there's the whole thing in there where... Is it Elvis who gives a little speech about um, how vampires were never going to be able to be the dominant species just because they can't go out in daylight something like that yeah yeah like they're just they're doomed because they are not adapted to this world really they can't if they can't go in the sunlight then that means they have to hide they have to they can't live a proper life like obviously humans can run around and get them in the daylight Mm. (laughs) um it's not clear why you know how quickly everything happened and i think there's a really weird um Obviously, it's part of the metaphor and the message, but like just looking at how everything has changed, I think maybe in 2009, I would have looked at it and gone, there's no way a a virus could reshape the world (laughs) so quickly and so thoroughly. (laughs) And now I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, (laughs) I see what could happen. (laughs) But just the fact that everyone's adapted to like live as as if nothing's happening, we just carry on. Mm. It's just you just you just get your blood and your coffee in the morning, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, you go to work. <laughs> go to it's not office. clear how much blood they need either. Like it doesn't seem like you need a lot. Just just a just yeah, a bit to like, keep you going. I think because everyone's having like less and less, so they start to get a bit more feral. There's the bit where I think you do see like because like, Ethan Hawke's having pig blood, you see his ear like his ear's gone yeah. pointy and like the rear view yes. mirror. Like, yes. Yes. Yes, I enjoyed that I'd left both Ginger Snaps uh, Unleashed and Daybreakers to watch until yesterday. And both of them featured people getting pointy ears. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like horrified by their own <laughs> Yeah. I also love the bit where they, they're talking about how they're trying to create a blood substitute, obviously, because the, the blood supply is drying up. Uh, and the guy who takes it, like, just explodes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> Just brilliant. really messily. Yeah. Like a bag of blood explosion. So fun, yeah, so fun. Um, I really like this film. This is the this is the one for me of these of these four. I enjoy it a lot as well. Yeah, it's good fun, (laughs) and and like always, I think a bit better than I remember it. Like a bit, or like there's, or like there's, it's got more ideas. I think that I I give it. I'm I'm always like, oh, it's the one that looks like Mad Men, where like it's about like renewable resources and then i'm like oh no there's like lots of nasty little details and like you said all the adverts yeah. and stuff are great yeah i thought maybe i would not like it as much this time because last time i'd had that element of surprise of like oh it's actually good um you know when you pick some random thing off netflix and you're like <laughs> <laughs> lower your expectations but yeah but actually I, I yeah i still thought it was great i still enjoy it i think because it's called daybreakers as well it, that sounds like it's going to be shit I was going to say, I think the title's part of the problem. It just tells you nothing, and, and I don't I don't really know what it was going for. I guess... Not that I've got a better one, but... To make it sound like the action movie, like it, maybe? like or... Yeah. Yeah, it's really not much of an action movie. No, it's like we're, all, we're about all running out of blood or something, yeah. <laughs> we're all starving and dying, starving and everything's maybe. doomed. Yeah. Like, there's just... Yeah, you get that bit where they all um, attack the coffee shop workers trying to get to the blood, because they've all... The bloods had yeah. to be rationed to only 5% and they all just go feral. That's just... 
<laughs> like it feels really stupid, but I feel like after the last couple of years, it does feel like we are living in a state where a minor inconvenience could turn everyone feral at the drop of a hat. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, so um, final thoughts on this mixed grab bag of vampire werewolf shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> I like all of these films to varying degrees. I think it's an interesting kind of mix of, I think, things that are trying to be either more interesting or more like shocking than the other vampire and werewolf things that were going on at the time, like the kind of underworlds and I guess like the Twilights later on maybe, but I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah, I think these are, I mean, Ginger Snaps 2 is like a curio, but I think if you're looking at ones that stand out as being kind of like the ones for grown-ups, like in inverted commas, I think these are, uh, yeah, I like all of these. I think they're very successful with, you know, the exception of the middle of 30 days of night. (laughs) Just a big chunk of no. Yeah, I mean, the, we did our leather trousers vampires episode, and like that's all the like sexy vampires, and these ones are like, no, no, these are nasty, ratty, bitey things. Um, <laughs> it does, it does. I don't know. I think yeah, like we are at the point where Twilight's about to uh, break out and become the new definition of vampires. Almost mm. is that going to be sparkly heartthrobs and for young adults rather than adults. I don't know if we've recovered from that even now in 2020. Like, I feel like vampires... I'm trying to think if I've seen anyone do anything particularly interesting with vampires since. And I am coming up empty. <laughs> there must be something. There must be something. Someone must have done something. Um, but perhaps there's a there's a Nosferatu remake in the works with uh, Robert Eggers, so maybe that will be good. That people keep talking about Dracula happening again. I don't know whether it will. Like to some degree, it's like uh, remakes are not necessarily going to bring us something new, but maybe they will. Yeah, Who I can think say? like even. <laughs> I guess the thing even now is that like the people have to justify why they're doing vampires. I think if it's especially like if mm. it's a like an art house movie or something, it's like we're doing. It's a metaphor for this, but we're using vampires. Mm. Or like Thirst, the Korean one, Park Chan Wook one, which I like is. Like, oh, is this is like this sort of story, but we put vampires in it kind of thing. Yeah, actually, that's reminding me uh, that Only Lovers After Live exists. Oh, and yeah, which is lovely. <laughs> really, like, really a big fan of that film. And What We Do in the Shadows does really fun things yeah. with vampires and werewolves, so maybe... It, yeah, it feels like, apart with the exception of like, a couple of things every now and again, it's almost like they're a bit too easy to use vampires. Like, you can, it's, we're still using them for action movies and things like that. Yeah. Although isn't there's a there's a Vampire Chronicles uh, TV series coming, isn't there? We talked about it after we did Queen of the Damned. So, God, that was so long ago. <laughs> that was that was that was potentially two bouts of COVID ago. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess we'll see see what happens. Um, so we are essentially giving up on doing a Vampires and Werewolves season. I think uh, it's a, ended up being a two a, a two parter. <laughs> Leather trousers and no leather trousers. Yeah. <laughs> leather trousers and feral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's your options. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, we will try and choose some films that we're a bit more excited to revisit so that we get around to it a bit quicker because four months is quite an unacceptable break yeah. for a podcast. So uh, apologies for that. We're still here. Yeah, we're still, we're still watching <laughs> we still exist. <laughs> 
people still watching them we're just not telling you about it <laughs> it's a secret um so, <laughs> so hopefully we'll be back a little bit quicker this time uh in the meantime don't forget you can follow us on twitter at chillennial hpod and yeah tell us your favorite vampires and whether or not they wear leather trousers <laughs> and other than that we will see you next time